0: extended clip episode 45 i'm one of your hosts
1: eddie averill i'm malcolm Baum. i'm jt white
0: and our films today are rita sue and bob 2 the alan clark film from 1987 and bad teacher the jake kasdan film from 2011 uh jt what inspired you to select such a pair of naughty uh twisted films
1: um well like i don't know like all great thinkers of our time, I'm just thinking at this uh, COVID crisis um, from all sorts of angles possible. And I'm like, I was heartbroken uh, by the teachers um, and, <laughs> like, and uh, the students that couldn't graduate this year. Um, and so my heart went out to them. But then I was thinking, hey, they're not that great. They do a lot of bad things. And so I got, uh, two films, one that reflects, uh, some students getting up to some naughty business and, uh, one where a teacher does, uh, something not similar, but like that's one for all that you can say about Cameron Diaz as the bad teacher, at least she doesn't fuck a kid.
2: Yeah. You know what? She's not so bad after all. I think that's what we learn at the end of the movie.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'll i'll get
1: into that
0: decision uh to avoid (laughs) that plot point when we get to that film uh but for the first one (laughs) uh just to establish uh or just to make it clear what you just said jt are you trying to say the bad people are the teacher in the second film and the students in the first film
1: (laughs) no no i mean they're like they're getting up to some naughty stuff which is premarital sex but they're not the ones being bad here. It's Bob. Uh, yeah. in this movie. He's the bad guy. I thought you were taking like
2: a parental stance. Like you better stop <laughs> with all that that naughty
1: business. You know, because we
2: all have like these free flowing sexual politics. But if that's your daughter, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, you're a socialist till you have a kid, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what they always say. <laughs> That's what they always say. <laughs> uh, so Rita Sue and Bob 2, this is a TV movie. Uh, it premiered on Channel 4. I don't know anything about England, so I don't know what that means.
2: I heard Channel 4, Like just doing a little bit of research on this movie, I think they were kind of a place for independent film in Britain around that time. Like They were really open to taking chances on guys like alan clark
1: it seems very similar in the sense where like a lot of europe uh they the way they treat like public television is more amenable to like uh like artistic like tv movies like i feel like you think of like an american tv movie and you think of like sort of junk trash um yeah but because yeah. they're more willing to go in the art vein it la- allows like Uh, filmmakers like Clark to sort of, uh, I don't know, do really interesting things with the medium.
0: Yeah, and he establishes right away in the opening of this film that just because it's a TV movie doesn't mean he's not going to do interesting things with the medium. Um, Also, it being a TV movie, usually you associate that with the Academy ratio, the box frame, but this one's in a nice uh, 1.66 kind of in-between Right away, you just get these long uh, tracking shots of these big open fields over the opening credits where you get this nice groovy, fun theme song <laughs> with the names of all three protagonists.
2: Yeah, is that like adult contemporary? I was trying to think of like what what genre that is. It's like very very specific.
0: <laughs> it's theme song. It's I don't True. know. I, that felt like we were watching the pilot of a TV show rather than a movie. <laughs> with an abrupt ending.
2: Yeah, this is Britain's three, three's company. <laughs>
0: I mean, it could be. If you take that ending, uh, that freeze frame ending as a new beginning. Uh, that, this could very well work as a pilot and you get to see what the three of them get up to every week for 22 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I tune in. I don't know about you guys. You know what? I would too. I like British humor. It's dark.
2: British humor. Those like, oh, well oh, fuck it. <laughs> we
0: we've, we've done this before. Yeah, I know. I was gonna say I, was, I, was, I
2: feel like I was gonna say the same thing, and I was, yeah, we're done. We're we're fucking stale now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh so yeah, you get these establishing shots of where these two uh working class school girls live, and they are part of this class dichotomy that Is drawn in this film that is about much more than that but yeah it establishes that as the milieu is these two different you know class environments uh where you have the middle class bob and his wife who live in a house in the suburbs and the two teens who while still in school have to work at you know, uh, a taxi service and as babysitters.
2: Yeah. And for, you know, a sex comedy raunch, um, you know, Alan Clark is definitely an intense style director. You know, it's something that you might not think would fit maybe his, you know, his style. But I think, you know, his style, the tracking shots, as you mentioned, kind of brings, uh, you know, a very interesting tone to this movie that's very, you know, class conscious amongst, you know, other social issues.
0: Yeah, I thought that I wasn't going to like it, honestly. I struggled through like the first half of this movie, but I eventually came around on it because it is a movie that depicts very uh gruesome and harsh realities of the world uh through a very kind of poppy, ironically comical tone. And I thought that I wasn't going to like that in the same way that I don't like, I don't know, Lars von Trier maybe. Uh, But I ended up just like really through Clark's form and through these tracking shots and uh, his eye for composition uh, just came around to really enjoying this film throughout the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I feel like, I mean, today I also watched another Clark, but something, I mean, I think the biggest draw for me is just how he depicts class and i think that is reflected in the form a lot with having these pretty big sweeping camera movements a whole lot that are generally from a little bit farther away so you get to see like the barrenness of a lot of settings or like some of the more cluttered aspects of it like also i feel like camera movement in this is great because it's like poor people are always walking everywhere and there's a lot of like tracking that throughout Clark's filmography it's just like poor fucking people going from place to place and then when they're in the spaces I mean like it doesn't like uh speak on class like in as like the main text of the film, which I think is really interesting, but you just see it through a lot of the details of just how, uh, Rita and Sue's lives differ from Bob's.
2: Yeah. And you know, with Rita and Sue and, you know, all those tracking shots, you know, of working class people, it's like these, these shots are moving so fast. Like they're walking at such like a fast pace that really just kind of, you know, matches like kind of the chaotic, the chaos in their lives. You know, this movie is ripe with argumentation. It seems like everyone's always arguing with each other, always yelling at each other, and it's uh you know, up until like I feel like maybe the this two thirds point, this movie really is you know all gas no breaks. It really just keeps driving forward.
0: Yeah, there's a scene where Rita and Sue are walking through one of those fields with like a group of their classmates. And they're just like all stomping and power walking and smoking cigarettes. And it looks just like the harshest shit ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, despite him being able to pull off that kind of rom-com-y farcical tone, this is still like a very hardcore movie. Uh, so we're introduced to Rita and Sue uh, properly as they finish up a babysitting job and uh bob then drives them home after uh they're done babysitting and a fun fact you i don't think you see the kids that they babysit until an hour into the film yeah
2: yeah i mean it shows how shitty bob is it's just like yeah yes, yeah. fucking kids <laughs> they're not around
0: yeah so bob drives them home and on the way they stop And, uh, yeah, he he takes both of their virginities in a very long uh, scene where they're parked in an empty field. uh, And it is I don't it's a very uh, difficult scene to parse, I guess, tonally what Clark is doing.
2: Yeah. And I feel like it's drawn out so long for a reason. I think, yeah, I think Clark definitely has like a detachment here in these scenes. And maybe that's kind of the thing that's hard to struggle with. Is that like he's there is like humor within this stuff and he is like kind of the playful tone is there, like kind of like the bit where he mentions a Jurex and an erection and they're like, Oh, we don't know what that is but he's like, Oh, it's like a hard on, it's a condom. They're like, Oh you know, it's just like yeah, some weird comedic timbers are reached in this scene that's very uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, it's also really weird that the way he introduces, like, the idea of hitting on them is asking if they know what a condom is. That's just a very strange place to start, in my opinion.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think that scene just, like, I like, I think that's how the form really fits the tone by, like, making it, I mean, the tone sort of juxtaposes against the content in a very interesting way that i think makes it more gruesome and difficult to watch because it's like there are these moments that are like lighter and like funnier and just sort of like the fact that they're all the three of them are all sort of constantly bickering while they're like canoodling around and fucking is like definitely something that's like funny but then it's just when you cut back to like Seeing like what's happening through the car windows in just this dark night. It just like reminds you again, like that it's just this man raping two young girls in like the back of his car that it uh, it it's so uh, difficult in that way to process. Is that all she's getting?
0: I thought I were great, yeah, it is, and um, yeah, i don't <laughs> I don't really know what else, like I like it is it's difficult to process it is they minors, it's you know consensual statutory rape, and it's an uncomfortable thing that is uh treated a lot more casually in a lot of films, and I think the fact that it's treated casually uh like within the reality of this film. I feel like Clark is still, you know, detached from that. It's not like he is going along with that reality as it, you know, being a perfectly normal thing. Uh, but no one in the film seems to care that much. Like, Bob's wife seems to care just as much as if he were sleeping with anyone else, really. It's only their parents who care, and that's only for a couple minutes that we see that, you know?
2: Yeah, and, it's you know, it's kind of... You know, showing the harsh realities of growing p- with poverty. You know, there's less people to you know care about where you are every hour of the day. And like something like Bob, right, is kind of an escape for these t- you know two girls. And so you kind of have to re- wrestle with the complexity of this, where they you know they seem to you know even though they're bickering comically, they seem to enjoy themselves. And you know even if they're making fun of Bob, they're they're getting some sort of enjoyment out of it. I think that's kind of Clark's intention, kind of just giving you a tough pill to swallow. It's giving you your medicine. (laughs)
0: Uh, (laughs) So we see for like the middle part of this, their relationship, how it unfolds, how uh, they're trying to keep it from their family. And also, you know, Rita and Sue trying to, you know, ditch school to go have sex with them in the middle of the day. And, Uh, Just their lives Kind of changing around Bob Until he is caught by his wife of course And then he is Caught yet again after Weaseling his way out of it They're all caught at a dance club Where there's a band playing a song uh, About having A gangbang Oh that song fucking
1: rips I love that Oh
0: yeah
2: Yeah, it's amazing. It's so it's so funny. And I love how they both have George Michael haircuts too.
0: <laughs> yeah, everyone has an absolute dog shit haircut in this movie. It's really weird. Everyone
2: looks like shit in this movie.
0: <laughs> yeah. But they're like the kind of dog shit haircuts you would see at like a DSA meeting or something like that. But anyway.
2: Hairstyles that have wrapped around
0: yeah, uh, I was just going to say not speaking from experience. <laughs> but anyway, we do uh,
2: not endorse the DSA, do not join the DSA. No. <laughs> uh
0: so another weird aspect of them getting caught at that scene though is that it's his wife's friend, uh this like old bag in her husband. Just <laughs> this old big lady with an old lady haircut who seems like, you know, I don't know, just does not fit in, in that scene at all. (laughs) Uh, And they all get dragged. It's a very funny scene where uh, she shows up to Bob's house the next day to tell his, his wife, and his wife gets all of them into the car, and then they all just have a big kind of showdown in that empty lot in front of uh, Rita's apartment.
1: Are you satisfied with what you've done now? Will you stop blaming me? It's as much your fault as it is mine. It's all in your fault. Not my daughter, it's your husband. It's your daughter. If it's put there on a plate, he's going to take it in.
2: Yeah, and this is where we get the screwball antics. This is where we get like an, an, an argumentation circle forms with, you know... Them, you know, the blame being pinballed back and forth to Rita and Sue, to, you know, uh, Bob's wife, to, you know, whoever, the parents. And then, you know, even the people on the balcony, the neighbors are getting in on it. You know, they're they're enjoying it. They're, they're taking sides.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: I love that old guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that scene is so great because I feel like it captures, like, uh, the ability that a lot of, like, upper or middle class folks are able to, like restrain their arguments to like private times or sort of repress their like erupting rage where like the contrast with poverty is it sort of like allows it to be more out there um they don't have like the same middle class values which is why i feel like the vulgarity in this film and like throughout the rest of clark's work uh is really effective is because he's down there in the trenches like depicting like, a realistic sort of view of just how miserable and, like, bitter poverty can be.
2: Yeah, I mean, this was shot on location of the screenwriter's project that she actually lived in, I looked up. So, yeah, he's, he's down there.
0: No, it's, it's literally, like, uh, I didn't even realize it until you said that the scene had screwball antics that this is like a climax of a bedroom farce but for a movie about people who, who don't have a big house with a bunch of rooms to slam the doors open and shut to you know <laughs> it's about mm-hmm. people who live in small apartments they can't you know uh, they can't be doing the big uh, antics that you see at I don't know uh, the end of Mistress America for uh, for a modern take on it you know
2: mm. yeah these are no Bombach characters
0: Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Let's see I didn't want to get into a Who's on first ro- routine there But it did sound like you said These are Noah bomb bat characters <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's see how long we could stretch that one out That routine Yeah really.
1: <laughs> Uh,
0: There is like The only scene uh, I don't even want to uh, Never mind I was going to say where you feel empathy for Bob But I don't even want to go that far <laughs>
2: What's the scene, though? I'm cu- I'm curious. When
0: when he can't get an art on.
2: Oh, well, yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: I mean, that's just pure <laughs> humiliation. Yeah,
2: yeah. That's, just, that's primal
1: shit. Well, I mean, I feel like uh, it's like uh, there's definitely something wrong with Bob where he's like, he is compulsively having sex and, like, cheating on his wife. And it's like, I, you could feel bad in the way where there's, like, guilt for someone who's clearly, like, I don't know, struggling with an issue, but like he's very manipulative and like fucking little girls. So that's not like it's. (laughs) That very much (laughs) so undercuts the level of sympathy you can have.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's not like he's a great filmmaker or anything. (laughs) Uh,
2: (laughs) He's no Woody. I'm not reading his memoir, you know?
0: But yeah, so after that blow up, the film then kind of becomes Rita and Rita, Sue, and Bob, too, and also Haslam who uh, sue starts dating uh when rita uh ends up with bob because she moves in after bob's wife leaves him and so sue uh starts dating the pakistani guy who she works with and they go to a pakistani cinema where there's no subtitles and that scene is actually pretty great uh even though it is like huge secondhand embarrassment of her talking during the movie (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: there's like there's you know there's some just like some scenes like that just buried into this movie that are just, just really interesting and just you know kind of almost diverge from what the movie is even. I mean, it, 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 I guess I shouldn't say it diverges because it kind of plays into like I
1: mean points that do seem like digressions there with like having the whole British like Pakistani racism bit. I feel like uh, is important and like does seem like because you get the two splitting paths of Rita and Sue where Rita is pregnant and living with Bob and uh, Sue is living her own life. So it feels like less of what we've been seeing for like the first, like uh, half of the movie. Um, But I, I
0: I loved that detour. It felt like a different movie. Like it felt like it it was a nice tease at a new beginning, you know, before the plot kind of comes back in, uh, and wraps everything up nicely.
2: Yeah, the the way it kind of happens too, like there there are like five minutes. I'm like, how is this gonna like weave into the plot? Like, how is this gonna, you know, come through narratively? And it kind of happens abruptly when her you know her boyfriend thinks she's cheating on him and beats her.
0: Yeah, it's really fucked up. And like, uh, Rita now uh, distant from Sue. Teams up with Haslam who believes that Sue is cheating on her, uh, and like to interrogate her about it and like she witnesses or not even witnesses, it's like uh she's on the other side of the wall and Clark cuts away when he actually hits her. Uh which it is like a very sympathetic moment in a film that otherwise depicts reality very harshly. Uh yeah. and I did think that that was a nice note there. Mm-hmm.
2: And you know what's kind of interesting about this This film for a sex romp There's no like sexually explicit I mean like you know what I mean There's no nudity really besides like Bob's ass I guess
0: Yeah there's a lot of Bob's ass
2: <laughs> If you like middle aged men's asses um, Check this one out
0: Yeah uh, So After that plan goes awry Rita and Sue kind of make up immediately After seeing the damage Done by Haslam And uh, they then like shack up in Bob's house and Haslam tries to get in and the racist neighbor calls the cops on him uh, and he gets taken away and then Bob shows up and there's a nice little fake out at the end where you get a nice little like long take of Bob walking around the house dejected because he thinks Rita and Sue then called the cops on him. Uh, but then it's a it's a little joke, and they're in bed waiting for him, and you end on a freeze frame of him about to commit the same crime he's been committing the whole film.
2: The freeze frame is, you know, it's kind of appalling when when you yeah, first, and, when you yeah, first it's have It's like, it. well,
0: are they are they just going to live together? Like that's not legal.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's this is connecting back to what I was saying about Clark giving you a tough pill to swallow. But I lo- yeah. I like this movie, but like at the same time, and I do kind of like the effect that the freeze frame has, but like this ending does have you rubbing your chin a little bit.
0: I I really liked the ending. Uh, I thought it was like kind of a reminder of what you got into in the first place. You know, like it reminded me of why I struggled with the film in the first 30 minutes or so. uh, And especially during that first sex scene where it's like, Oh, this is a bitter film. You know, Uh, this is a bitterly ironic film with a lot of, uh very harsh realities presented in very aesthetically kind of challenging ways because they're aesthetically pleasing ways over things that are, you know, obviously unpleasant. And sure, that dynamic is kind of like filmmaking 101 for a lot of provocateurs. Uh, but I think the balance is struck really well here. And I haven't seen any other Clark, but just from reading about it, uh, this tone seems to be kind of anomalous throughout his filmography, uh this kind of more upbeat rom com type thing. So I'm looking forward to watching more of his harsh flicks, you know. And uh oh, uh three and a half bullets.
2: Nice. Nice. Yeah, uh Clark is he's harsh as hell. Like yeah, and I, I kinda like this movie for what it is. It's like an angry comedy. And you know, I like being angry and I like to laugh. And so Clark gives lets me do both. Um Yeah. I'm going to give it four bullets. I mean, just, just to go back to the gangbang scene alone. I mean, just, you know, a movie that contains like a a humping conga line, you know, that's, that's some stuff that's going to draw me in. That's going to get my attention. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah. I'm also going to give this one, uh, four bullets. I've been waiting for a long time to really like dive deep on Clark. Um, and this was a good chance to start doing that, because it's like, I don't know, he has such an attention to detail uh, with class consciousness, and just also being, I think it's hard to mix that in in a comic setting, and, I I don't know, keep it interesting, but, like, he strikes such a perfect tone that's... uh, bitter and playful. So I really like this one. Um, yeah.
0: All right, we'll be right back on extended clip to talk about bad teacher. We're we're going to end the debate. We're going to find out once and for all how bad is she? <laughs> I use movies as one of my tools, but I also use a variety of other multimedia techniques. And we're back on extended clip before we find out just how bad that teacher is. Uh, Malcolm, did you watch anything else this week worth noting?
2: Oh yeah, I definitely did, for sure. I watched a little Johnny Toe movie, and I should say a Johnny Toe uh, y Kite Phi movie running on Karma from 2003. We have a monk turned bodybuilder with the gift to see into people's lives, and he befriends uh, a female cop and uses her or uses his own gift to change her own, like, cosmic destiny, because this movie, like, has a lot of uh, spirituality in it, and I don't exactly comprehend it well, but it's all very interesting. Like, Andy Lau is in a is in a, a, rare, uh, a rare buff suit. I usually don't see buff suits. You see some fat suits, but he is comically <laughs> ripped and often naked. It opens with him, you know, you know male stripping in a strip club. And it was just a lot of fun. And this is my first Johnny Toe movie. I've noticed a lot of people have been, you know, sharing the files recently online. And Johnny Toe has, you know, received the file share treatment. And he's someone I always wanted to check out. And I'm definitely going to explore his filmography further. But I also, I also wanted to talk about, you know, an old master, you know, an old friend, Joseph von Sternberg. And his, uh, you know, his truthful title of a movie, The Devil is a Woman. Um, <laughs> and um, here's the thing right it's like the devil is a woman right that it's that's got to be misogynist right and it's like this is one of those movies that is like is so misogynist by like you know of course it's misogynist by today's standards but like it kind of wraps around into being woke again right because it's like marlena dietrich horseshoe theory. yeah horseshoe theory or i think that's <laughs> There might We might need to rename that to something else. It's like a swirl theory. I don't know. But uh don't want to get into the theories too deep. But basically the whole movie is about um, two friends meeting up. And this, one of the friends is like, I'm going to meet this girl later. And like he says the girl's name. And he's like, that, the other guy's like, that girl ruined my life. And basically tells him in flashback about how uh, Marlena Dietrich kind of came in and out of his life, kind of just using him for money and, uh, you know, kind of not even not even giving up anything, you know, just maybe a kiss here and there. And, uh, you know, it's basically Dietrich fin-doming this, like, fat fuck for, like, uh, 80 minutes. And it's it's great stuff. I mean, if you know Marlena Dietrich, you know, she's out there owning the screen. This is Joseph von Sternberg's uh, cinematography debut, I believe. And there's a, you know, it's, uh, in terms of framing... He's one of my favorites from this era. And, you know, I honestly, uh, watching, you know, Marlena Dietrich, it kind of reminded me of maybe Cameron Diaz in Bad Teacher. But (laughs) we'll get to that. We'll get to that.
0: Oh, man. Um, Yeah, I think that there has to be a comparison on Letterboxd of uh, her in Something About Mary to uh like the mystique of uh marlena dietrich in one of the von sternberg movies someone has to have
1: said that on. and, if,
2: and if not i'll take it i'll take that i'll wear that i'll put that on my
0: mantle.
1: <laughs> uh, what about you jt um yeah i wanted to talk about another alan clark film that i watched today um it's called road also from 1987 so, like, Alan Clark, he knows, like, the working man, it's all about that hustle. Making two <laughs> movies a year, um, really going at it hard.
2: Yeah, Clark, I, I saw that, that you like, that this was made in the same year. He's, yeah. he's got that grinder die mentality, <laughs> <G-O-D>.
1: <laughs> I There's, like, a big box set of his that the BBC released that's, like, Blu-ray. I mean, I think it's, like... Uh, that whatever that region is but i would like to check it out it might be like it's his collected works with the bbc so i feel like that's probably most of his stuff because i know some of the stuff of his has been like a little bit harder to find but there's a good bit Mm -hmm. out there
2: yeah this would be yeah he's he's sick I, i noticed a lot of his movies not a lot but i feel like three or four they put them on prime i don't know if they're still there but Scum. I remember watching Scum, and that was like an instant classic for me. And like, did you see Scum?
1: No, I have it downloaded. I think that's what I'm going to hit up next of his.
2: Yeah, just just warning: insanely brutal. Like, like I don't want to I don't want to spoil anything, but there are like brutal rape scenes that like <laughs> made me feel bad for the rest of the day.
1: <laughs> Jesus so, Christ!
2: You'll yeah, it's like it's literally like. Like there's some solo level shit in there. Like I'm not joking. I guess not. There's no shit eating, but it is a it is a boys' prison. It gets rough.
1: Oof. And I mean, I also like because I think most of his movies uh, are like for TV. They are pretty concise in that respect. And it's mm-hmm. like he just does you. You don't get beaten up too brutally for too long. Um, it normally mm-hmm. keeps. I mean, it's it's intense. Like his elephant. Is like 40 minutes, but it's all just like, um, like the same type of like floating tracking shot camera movement of just like killings like that. There is no like lead up to any of the murders that happen. It's just, you watch him just shoot, uh, just like someone come on screen and shoot someone.
2: Damn. Shit. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds like, I got, that might be the one I watch next too, just because I love Van Sant's element so much. Element, Elephant. 'Cause like, yeah, I gotta check I gotta check where the sauce came from.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Damn, did you guys just talk about Alan Clark's elephant?
1: Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. A little Clark talk.
0: I had an accident. I took a sip of water and then I coughed and <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like a lot of places. It happens. It was na- it was straight up nasty, honestly. Um <laughs>
1: But, yeah, Road was the was the Clark that I watched today that's from the same year. Um, it's a little bit more avant-garde in the sense that it's, like, um, just following the lives of some people in, like, an English, like, street. You see, like, a few different homes, like, scenes from there. They're more—this is another one that's based on a play, um, and there are some, like— scenes that are just like long monologues that characters are uh delivering like there's one of like a woman walking down the street like thinking about like her husband being like an alcoholic like lamenting have to having to like beg like friends and family members to borrow money just like real deep bitter shit um so it's pretty brutal in that sense but then there are also some really like like, punky and aggressive, like, fourth wall breaks where, like, characters will, like, address, like, camera in it. But the main, like, connecting story is you see two women uh, meet uh, two guys in suits and just go back to, like, their, like, fucking, like, an empty building that is, like, run down, like, I mean, all the settings in this film are, like, very dirty and poor, um, but they, like, the four of them, like, the film climaxes with the four of them just drinking wine from the bottle and listening to Otis Redding. Uh, and it's just brutal. <laughs> and they're just talking about how shit their lives are. And that's kind of the connective tissue in Road, I feel like, between all the stories told. It's just people being very blunt about the misery of their lives and sort of a yearning for the past. Because, like, I know, obviously produced in the same era as Rita Sue and Bob 2, dealing with Thatcher's Britain and just uh, reflecting on how many negative uh, changes have happened to, like, abolish uh, aspects of the welfare state.
0: That sounds hardcore.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that one I gave uh, five uh, bullets on. So it's definitely, like, I, I want to take that one for a spin again. It's on YouTube, and it's only an hour long, so uh, definitely worth it.
2: And I was just going to say, you know, if you're in a crunch, you know, you just pop on the Alan Clark movie. Some of them are, like, 40 minutes. So if you're, you know, you're in a rush, you got to go soon, but you got to see a
1: movie. <laughs> Look to Clark. And you want to feel miserable at wherever <laughs> you're going next.
2: <laughs> you want to feel bad. Some people want to feel bad. It's true.
0: Yeah, that- That sounds about perfect. I I might have to queue up a handful of these. Um, I watched quite a bit this week. Um, Let's see. I watched Hardly Working yesterday, the Jerry Lewis film. Now, this is a late-period Jerry Lewis film. This is uh, about the same time he did King of Comedy. It's just a couple years before, uh, 1981. And it's a very autobiographical film in that sense. He hadn't made a film that had come out since Which Way to the Front like 10 years ago, I think it was, 1971. And, uh, oh, I just talked about Which Way to the Front on this podcast a couple weeks ago, if I recall correctly. And this one is a lot more strange than that one, even this one opens on a montage of uh, Jerry's career, essentially, uh, of him always kind of playing the clown and him goofing off, cut to funny comedy mu- music, and it ends with him uh, as an old ex-clown who can't find any work, and that's where the movie starts proper. And uh, so he, the first half of the movie, he's trying out a bunch of different jobs, and it's very funny. Uh, I don't know, it's very uncomfortable, it's very alienating, it's very slow, Uh, it's probably the least funny in a normal sense uh, of the Jerry Lewis directed movies that I've seen, other than like the one that he's not in, that one sucks. But it is funny in a more kind of uncomfortable and sometimes ironic way uh, that I hadn't, really seen like fully explored in other Jerry films yet and i feel like the like the limitations of what he can do physically he's kind of playing into them and i feel like people didn't quite catch on and i feel like his style is also mimicking that too you know he still has the formal control that he had his whole career he's still like just knows exactly where to put the camera at all times and when to cut Uh, but he's much more like laid back in this film. Uh, there's a sequence where it's like, he's buddy love from the nutty professor. But instead of that, like crazy zoom across the dance floor where you meet buddy love in that film, it's kind of just like a low level, long static take of him dancing in the club. Uh, and it's very downbeat like the rest of the film, because the film is about life beating down Jerry Lewis. And, uh, it's uh, it's it's his Joker movie. Uh, he <laughs> ends up uh, working for the Postal Service, and, uh, you know, chaos ensues, of course. Some uh, Timothy and... McVeigh-style antics. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it goes that far. Uh, I also watched some related content uh, for, you know, uh, Our Hearts Bleeding for the Youth of America. <laughs> the extended clip.
2: And their sex lives. <laughs> yeah, with
0: the films that we watched this week. So I also watched episode nine of season six, uh, nice if you will, of the <laughs> George Lopez program. Uh, George Lopez is the name of the show. The episode is called George Joins the Neighborhood Watcha and Raises the Vigil Ante. And I say those words like that because there's like a hyphen between W H A and Cha and Vigil and Auntie. Um, so the episode starts with a neighborhood watch meeting taking place in George's backyard. Uh, he doesn't remember being on the neighborhood watch, but he is in fact the president this episode might be like a dream sequence i don't know it's very weird i've seen a lot of sitcoms and like i know the special episodes quote-unquote detour from the house style but this one does not have any sort of subplot whatsoever like it's only the a plot just like running the whole way through it has like a five minute cold open of george learning that he's the head of the neighborhood watch uh and then him having a meeting in his backyard and then they find out that there uh, is a sex offender living in the neighborhood. And so he rounds up the neighborhood uh, in a posse to go take him down. To get his molester off the streets. And he's going to rot in hell for this, you know. Uh, and then who opens the door but Tommy Chong. And he's like, hey, man, I, I got some brownies, man. <laughs>
2: i don't remember
0: that yeah it was just a little detour because uh george got the numbers wrong because of his dyslexia uh, <laughs> uh so then they go to the right house and of course he asks the name you know chris whatever and the woman says that's me and that's when you have your fucking mind blown and you realize that a sex offender can actually be a woman what and uh yeah,
2: yeah. a hot one so,
0: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> So she had sex with a 15-year-old boy, and she's a registered sex offender. Uh, She's a former teacher, and that's when she did it. And she said she served her time, and she was very sorry for what she did. And uh, George rounds up the troops, and they all go home. (laughs) Uh his wife of course nagging him about it. And then he tells his son, uh, because his wife insists that he tell his son that there's a sex offender in the neighborhood who had sex with a boy, his age. Uh, and he goes over there and tries to have sex with her. Uh,
1: uh, 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 uh. <laughs>
0: And they pull him out, uh, they get him out of there, and uh, they first get mad at the lady, and then she turns the blame on the boy, and uh, they then punish the boy, and that's how the episode wraps up. Um, also, George says that it's about double standards, you know? Uh <laughs> so yeah there's no b plot uh for fans of the character ernie who often uh takes up the b or c plots in george lopez he comes up he here george tells him about what happens and then during the climax he rides by on a skateboard trying to look like a little boy Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like i did George
2: Lopez show might be hilarious. Might
0: just be funny. <laughs> it's so weird. Like it's, it's such a bizarre episode. I don't know. I feel like sitcoms haven't done the quote-unquote very special episodes in a very long time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I feel like the attempt to kind of normalize it but also make it a very special episode renders a very strange product. And I've seen a lot of George Lopez show. I've probably seen... Forty episodes of that show, uh, if not more, and plenty of them multiple times. This is by far the strangest
1: one. Oh, uh, can we name this episode? By the way, extended clip joins the neighborhood watch uh, and raises <laughs> the vigil. <laughs> <auntie>. <laughs> I-, I love that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing these magazines to school is not the way you're going to make friends, Arcadi. Those 8th grade boys are just using you. So, I'm gone
0: Welcome back to Extended Clip. Our B-movie today is Bad Teacher. Uh, 2011, Jake Kasdan. Hey, did his dad write Star Wars movies?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: pa- did he? I don't know. I- I'm just positing the question. Could've, could be, It could be a different Kasdan. <laughs> i don't know they definitely don't have any co-writing credits on any certain films um I'll give them
2: respect for that at least you know at least no they, they do that. that's what oh, i was saying do. oh well yeah jesus christ
0: they didn't they write the solo movie i i don't know now we might need to fact check this oh no okay so i was wrong uh jonathan kasdan is the other son uh of lawrence kasdan and he co-wrote Solo. Okay. Solo, a Star Wars story. Yeah. Anyway, vulgar nepotism aside, <laughs> uh, Bad Teacher is a film by Jake Kasdan from 2011, and Jake Kasdan is a competent enough director to make a good movie, as we've seen with Hard: the Dewey Cox story. But this film, um, the people don't like it, do they? No. No, there was, there was one man who, who liked it. And even in mm. his review...
2: He's kind of he's kind of calling it wishy-washy. He kind of wish bad teacher win after blips more and of course that's Armand Dwight right but I'll just I'll, I'll read you a little, a little, a little uh, quote Dia's provocative pose in the bad teacher poster condenses the larger problem. How can we tantalize sexual images of independence, wealth and celebrity in everyday pop culture while pretending to care about math and science?
0: <laughs> <laughs> chew on that. It sounds like the film critics need to go back to school.
2: (laughs) Uh, uh, uh. Rodney style. Honestly, Armand White going back to school in college, modern day and age. I'd watch that.
1: Oh yeah. That's a hit right there.
0: (laughs) This film opens uh, by taking us back to school in an opening credit sequence where you see archival footage of both teachers and comedians, such as the three stooges uh, in the classroom (laughs) setting uh a nice way to lay the groundwork for what kind of thing you're getting into it's kind of like a pitch meeting you know like it's uh it's teaching but it's funny i feel like
1: (laughs) one other uh like 2010s film that we watched had like this sort of like shitty intro it might have been bad grandpa uh dirty grandpa a dirty grandpa uh sorry it's a
0: popular tactic um What's it called? Blockers did it as well Blockers did it with more attention To detail though because they actually Used different like uh It seemed like they were using different cameras like consumer Grade cameras from different time periods mm-hmm. But still a dumb Conceit to start a comedy movie
2: Absolutely It's like remember going to class
0: Here's a couple examples <laughs> of that
1: Look this school Is going to be a little bit funny <laughs> <laughs>
0: So it opens on the bad teacher, the titular uh, Cameron Diaz character, Elizabeth leaving behind her teaching job because she has married a rich man and they have matching Mercedes. But of course it's a comedy movie. It's got to have a wacky inciting incident. And that is her husband leaving her and uh, his, his mom helping him out. And so she goes back to school. We're going to say back to school a lot this episode Uh <laughs> She goes back to school 3 months later and she decides that to win over a successful man she's going to need uh to get some uh some bigger titties.
2: Some bazancas. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She circles Katie Perry's uh boobs in a magazine as if to say that's what I want. X marks the spot. Uh so essentially she has to hold down her shitty job that she hates. And hates these fucking stupid kids that she has to teach because you know who would want to do that? That's uh, that's a bad job. <laughs>
2: nice. Maybe it requires a bad teacher
1: to t- for a bad job. <laughs>
0: and she has to find a way to get the uh, the nine thousand dollars that the boobs cost. And uh, so there, there's your premise, boys.
2: <laughs> a lot of breast humor. A lot of uh jokes about. They would be cool, like bigger breasts and imagining if you know cameron diaz had bigger breasts so if you like that do we no but i said if you like that it's there
0: oh if you like that i thought you said we like that
2: don't we all love that
1: no we don't i love bigger breasts but that's pretty (laughs) much that's, that's the extent to which i love this premise
2: Yeah, I don't think there's anything really funny about a nice pair of (laughs) tights.
1: Yeah, no, I take it very seriously. Actually, (laughs) (laughs) I don't like. I think it's inappropriate that this movie is making light of something so serious. There's some lines you don't cross. Yeah, and and I rarely don't
2: say that on this podcast, but come on.
0: So this is a film full of comedy television actors of the 2000s and 2010s um and the style of humor is it's a little apatowian uh where there's definitely some some riffage going on you know there's a lot of jokes in this movie that feel like they're the best of you know seven different riffs that they tried on the joke you know
2: yeah definitely i think this movie operates at like I laugh maybe once every 10 to 15 minutes.
0: Yeah, the good the good laughs really... I wanted them to convince me that this was good, but unfortunately it's not a good movie despite all of the things about it that uh, the, the mainstream uh, cultural consensus uh, disliked about it being things I tend to like in more provocative comedies, but this one just didn't do it for me.
1: Yeah, I was hoping that this would be... Um, one of our our classic turns where we have a raunchy comedy that we, we poo poo the elitist critics from their ivory towers and, uh, burn it all down and, and tell them they're wrong. Um, especially because there's that like tweet going around about stoner comedies for women. There's a little bit of that in, in this here in like, in just in her laziness. Um, but it's yeah, it's there aren't enough laughs. It's bogged down by like the usual things that these movies are, like the very stupid Jason Segel uh, romantic <laughs> plot. <laughs> um,
0: oh, you don't you don't identify with him and find him cool?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the classic. Uh, you know, very like smarmy. You know, making. <laughs> joke he was joking his way into the pussy dude <laughs> yeah he
1: he
0: was uh he was doing gym face his way into the pussy <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love when dudes are just like kind of like laid back and don't give a shit but they're also extremely smarmy
1: Oh 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 yeah
0: dude. That's yes. the prototype for good comedy yeah. right there
1: Just yesterday I had uh started a rewatch of Eastbound and Down and I watched yeah. like the first two episodes of that and in contrasting them to bad teacher, it feels like bad teacher is a really low grade, like riffing on that, what the first season of Eastbound is, but like, does it so much worse because it has that like, yeah. Oh, okay. There's this crude, uh, sort of asshole come in a school setting and the contrast there. And even the, uh, the woman who's like Phyllis from the office has sort of a Stevie <laughs> vibe when played True. against uh, Diaz. But it's just like not, I mean, it's not operating on as cinematic of a level as the, the Jody Hill, Danny McBride stuff. And just like, also, as we had said, isn't that funny?
2: No. And it's, you know, it tries to, you know, redeem Diaz and then you know, stuff you would never find Eastbound doing. Like there's kind of a, a real sharpness to how that show is made. And especially in the writing, whereas this kind of, this feels lazy. A lot of it feels lazy. There's a lot of cliches. It's a studio comedy. What can I say?
0: Yeah, you got the uh, you got the more uptight guy, the rich guy that she wants to impress at school, played by Justin Timberlake. Uh, he's a substitute doing
2: SNL skit style acting. It's one of the most non performances I've ever seen. <laughs> oh
0: my god! Yeah he is it's like he's reading cue cards that's his version of riffing is reading cue cards on SNL apparently yeah it's just hard to kind of get on board with like he's a charismatic person it really works in some films like Southland Tales Mm -hmm. uh especially I thought maybe it would work in that way because this is such like a mean film kind of and it's more crude than most mainstream comedy was at the time Mm -hmm. uh I thought maybe that Timberlake would have something of a dissonance there, but I think it is just like an SNL tone pretty much to his humor in this, which kind of blows.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think trying to think what's the most appealing part of this movie because I think maybe I'm a little bit more higher on it than maybe you guys,
1: but I don't think it's good by any means, but it felt watchable. Yeah, no, it's definitely that for me.
0: I didn't think it was an awful movie. I thought it was, like, mainly watchable. It just, like, wasn't... I just wish it was funny. I, no. I it, it, had yeah. a f- it had a good joke every, like, two or three scenes, you know? And so that's just, like, 60% of the scenes I was just, like, waiting for a joke, kind of, you know?
2: Yeah. Diaz's misanthrope behavior is maybe the most appealing part of it to me and produces some of the funnier parts. I mean, I, I think the scene where she's smoking weed and like the little goody two-shoes student she has comes in and she's just like roasting her it's like you know stop dressing like you you know you want to be president and fucking goober <laughs> you know shit like that
1: what do you
0: want? is that marijuana? <laughs> no it's medicinal marijuana I have a prescription and everything and I'm not gonna tell you why because it's between me and my doctor I think when she's in full bad teacher mode, like, uh, you know, the promise of the premise when she's just like roasting kids and, you know, getting fucked up and being crazy, it is kind of funny. Like she's a good performer, you know, it's just, there's not the full movie around it.
2: No, Diaz definitely carries some of this material too. And like, kind of like, you know, I was kind of joking with the Dietrich comparison, but they do have a similarity in that they're both kind of these ruthless characters that you know you would normally root against but you know you end up rooting for them in a sense maybe less so here in bad Teacher, because halfway through it's you're like okay whatever this movie kind of sucks i don't have investment in these characters but you see yeah. you see her trying and it gets there at some moments i would say
0: we should also say that this is a film that's supposed to be set in chicago and it is- really <laughs> <laughs> The the bar that they go see Timberlake's band at is the salute it's they didn't even change the name. It's a fucking bar in Chatsworth. It's next to the munchbox. It's like fucking this whole movie is in the valley pretty much. It doesn't look anything like Chicago. They say it's like the best something in Chicago at some point. I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I was like, I did not even think of the location. I didn't like a sense of place never even came to mind.
0: In terms of it being a full-fledged movie, you know, like, there's no sense of place. Uh, Diaz is the only character that has any sense of reality, honestly. And Mm -hmm. that's fine. Like, you don't have to have realistic characters for a comedy. A lot of my favorite comedies have completely one-dimensional characters on the side, but these ones just aren't interesting enough. Like, Jason Segel... The one funny thing he did is when the film is showing him as a total bozo and he's just like yelling at this like little kid about <laughs> LeBron James and being completely wrong, of course, because he is a bozo. Uh, that was the only time I laughed and it was when the film was completely not on his side. Otherwise, the film sees him as like the good guy, which is just such an obnoxious kind of thing.
2: This Siegel character, you know, kind of gets me thinking, You know, gets my imagination running. And you know you have these screenwriters, you know, who you know they might have been funny their whole lives, you know, maybe didn't get too much attention, you know, from the ladies in their formative <laughs> years, and they they kind of, they kind of craft this sly little character that represents the best qualities of them, you know, at least what they think, and is you know it's completely repulsive. It's like it's uh it's the ugly side of pure id, almost. I don't know.
0: She finds out around the midpoint what she has to do to get her money. Uh, There is a bonus, a $5,700 bonus for whatever uh, teacher gets the highest, like, standardized test scores from their students, which I feel like it's probably not real or, like, legal for teachers. (laughs) Maybe it is. It doesn't feel right, though, right?
2: stuff like this would happen but also if
0: if you're doing if you're like playing on the side of the movie you say that it's an indictment of the school system you know and like Mm -hmm. uh, that that's how messed up the schools we send our children to are Uh, which also since it's like by a rich guy uh, makes me think (laughs) that he's like a charter school or private school only type guy you know
2: yeah I mean the what do you call it that last throwaway joke about the Malcolm X school at the end is uh, very telling about their view of the public not even the public education system but the type of people who inhabit it which is even worse
0: <laughs> she tracks down a uh, guy played by comedy icon tom lennon <laughs> of 1517 to paris fame <laughs> yeah of, of 1517 to paris and "Knight of cups fame uh <laughs> maybe he's been in a third movie we've talked about uh, i feel like but he I'm has ra- Possibly. I don't know. Uh, But I feel like he's been in as many movies as any other actor we've talked about. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, Tom Lennon meets Cameron Diaz while she's in a disguise as some uh, uh, reporter for the Chicago Herald, where she then roofies him uh, and takes the test results for the standardized testing. And that's how she wins her big prize. Uh, and then the, the annoying lady, uh, squirrel, you know, she, she puts all the evidence together, but, uh, you know, it comes it, it doesn't work out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, that's another, like, I, I think this movie, it, it like takes too long. Like it's only like around like an hour and a half. Um, it feels
0: so fucking long. Yeah.
1: No, it just like, and that's a another point in reckoning with how the like the comedy really drags and is so far and few between uh it's it's just that it feels so long for such a short film like uh in comparison to uh rita sue and bob it's like that movie breezes by and this just really fucking drags especially when it gets to her doing the convoluted like test plot part and i think probably the the movies uh, where it goes the most afoul is that despite this she gets the money like she has a change of heart at the end we never get to see her with big tits and uh, <laughs> <laughs> i think that's your you get something at the beginning of the film that you know you need to see it's a promise and <laughs> the premise and i just i was robbed honestly
0: yeah Chekhov's implants did not come through (laughs) but also yeah you alluded to it earlier but like one of the final jokes in this movie is you know kind of the mentality of the movie that Squirrel uh, her evidence does not amount to anything because of the blackmailing and cheating that Diaz does uh, to stay one step ahead of her and so she Uh, gets transferred to Malcolm X High uh, to get out of that school so that Cameron Diaz can just have a chill time being a bad teacher and not have to worry about the snitch. And if it's like a snitches-get-stitches morality, but then you're punishing her by sending her to a school named after a black person, (laughs) uh, like let alone Malcolm X and the weight that that carries. And I get doing a joke just for shock value, but it's like... You gotta you gotta think the joke through a little bit, you know? There's so many, you know, this is definitely that kind of riff-centric movie, and it's like, there are at least five other jokes they did that day that were probably better, if not, they, they probably weren't good, but they were probably better than that.
2: Yeah, and this movie will try to push the envelope sometimes with, like, just kind of, like, kind of lazy racism, just kind of, like, not even, just using, like, referencing racism in a way that yeah. just seems very, like... Yeah, it's not really trying to say anything about the characters. It's not even really trying to make you laugh. I mean, of course I know the intention is humor. I'm not like you know, I'm not saying there's some coded messages in this movie, but it's just <laughs> it just, it's very distasteful and very, you know, it's lazy. It's fucking lazy. I, I've said that like maybe seven times throughout this you know, little segment, but it's a fucking lazy ass movie.
0: Also, uh, I've railed against the funny sex scene many a times on this podcast and the dry humping scene in this is from hell. It was it took an eternity to get through. I, I turned down the volume because it was so uncomfortable, but not in, in a productive way at all. Uh, it was just like fuck this sucks and, and like there's a plot point made out of it where he butt dials while dry humping you know cause your phone's in your pocket I guess and it's just like it's, it's just just turn the there were so many points where I was like oh that's a good joke I'm gonna like this movie and then there's a scene like that and it's just like oh come on you almost had me you almost made me like a studio comedy from the last 10 years but you couldn't you couldn't get me
1: The dry humping sex scene is just like I'd say one of the worst funny sex scenes that we've seen so far because it's not Mm -hmm. even like it's not even like they're fucking and like you can you can trace every beat of the joke up until like, oh, he Justin Timberlake came in his pants at the end. And it's like a lot of the Timberlake stuff in particular falls so flat because of his performance. Like Diaz. I mean as we had said earlier. It's like fucking carrying this film. And just like so much of it. Is putting their two energies together. And just Timberlake. I feel like more often than not. managed to Manages to deflate. Some of the momentum that Diaz has. Because she's just going into these scenes. Like trying to woo him. So she's not on. And like being like. I don't know she leads the funnier scenes and, and when she's with Timberlake it just sort of falls apart
0: yeah I would have killed for more scenes of her with her roommate like the, the UFC shirt guy uh, who works at a gym and like just tells her to get ginormous tits <laughs>
2: <laughs> that guy played by Modern Family star Eric Stone Street. there's a lot of working oh, actors yeah. in this movie I, that's one thing I noticed is like Pretty much, most of these actors are still working, which is kind of rare for a studio comedy like ten years ago. Except maybe like yeah. Diaz and Siegel, who, like, I don't think
0: they had they, their moments in the sun, respectively.
2: Yeah, exactly. I don't think they were forced out, but I think they're just they're just laying low.
0: I don't know. I feel like maybe Diaz could have a later career revival, but I don't know about Siegel.
2: Yeah, Siegel's a very
0: yeah yeah. That's a that's a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> yeah, <Susan killed. laughs> Not getting Sarah Marshall pill, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a pretty good movie, honestly, despite him. I mean, it's one of the only movies where his shtick kind of works, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's still not that good.
2: I haven't seen it in a long time.
0: This film, not good at all. Uh, it was bad. Uh, I almost said one and a half. But you know what? Just, just for the sake of uh, having a film where Cameron Diaz... Uh, packs a bowl and a bong and the lighter doesn't work and she puts the bong over the stove to light it. I'm going to bump it up to two bullets out of five.
2: Yeah, you know what? Um, not the best movie. A lot of groaner moments. But it, it, is a, it is fun as a Diaz vehicle and you really do get to see her shine through in certain moments just because she kind of has to for the movie to work. Um, so not good. But maybe maybe you could trick yourself into liking it like me, where it's like, oh, she's playing Marlena Dietrich, and it's these are tra- traditions in <laughs> film that have been passed down years and years, and you still see it in the form today, and you know, film history is important and stuff like that. So maybe view it from that really, you know, wrong angle. You might get a little bit more out of enjoyment, like I did. And you want to enjoy movies, right, rather than dislike them. So maybe go how I did. So I'm gonna give it two and a half bullets.
1: Yeah, I was on the fence between two and two and a half bullets. I'm ultimately going to go with two because I feel like it's on for sure the more negative end for me. But I was really anticipating to like absolutely hate this going in. And I was surprised by like there are like bad moments, but for the most part, it's pretty bearable. Um, So that's something, I guess. I don't know. But, and also, like, when I initially made this selection, I thought, okay, bad teacher, there's going to be some connective tissue there uh, with Rita and Sue, because as a bad teacher, she probably fucks a kid in this, but not even that. So it's like, how, it's more like not that bad teacher. She's kind of (laughs) okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, the closest, the closest she comes to fucking a kid is. uh, this one like loser kid who uh, you know lays his ha- heart out for this girl he has a crush on gets rejected and so she gives him uh, her bra so that he could pretend he hooked up with an older girl.
2: That's the classic move after you hook up with a woman, you take her bra,
1: parade it around. <clears throat>
0: it's like that's like so much less funny than in Billy Madison where he feels bad for the kid who peed himself. So, he makes it look like it's like cool to pee yourself. That's, that's way amazing. more heartwarming. Yeah, that's way more heartwarming than this. You know, this is just like it this film just doesn't have the chops, you know. And I wanted to like it also for its attitude. It does have kind of an edgy vibe to it, which is annoying sometimes, but in comparison to the kind of nice core vibe of studio comedies now, like at the tail end of the 2010s, like Book Smart and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I'd much prefer this. And, like, I do prefer this film to Book Smart, you know?
2: One of the stars of Book Smart is the annoying Lib kid in her class that she owns while smoking weed. So
0: there's your.
1: There's your oh, that's tissue. right. Damn.
0: Oh, wait. Is that. What the fuck? Are you serious?
1: I'm serious.
0: Damn, so you just blew my damn mind.
1: Bro.
2: <laughs> so maybe, maybe if you're if you're taking a college course on the the studio comedies of the 2010s, might be an interesting double feature. Watch um, Bad Teacher. I was going to say Bad Santa, Bad Grandpa. Literally, Bad Santa was third on my list yeah. of titles I was going to give. Uh, watch yeah. Bad Teacher and Booksmart and Do Your History.
0: Yeah, you got to <laughs> get bad pilled. <laughs> <laughs> Uh we don't have any emails this week, but you can email us at extendedclippodcast at gmail.com. You can hang out with us on uh on Discord. Uh, there's a link on our Twitter, which is at ExtendedClip Sixty Nine. Um Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have a good week. <laughs>
2: <clears throat> Stay cool. <laughs>